0: We're starting a new series that we're so excited about called The Problem of God. And Jeremiah will be um, starting us off. But before he comes, I'm going to read the scripture verse and um, reading from Jeremiah 29, 8 to 13. Let's do one thing. Let's all stand as we read the word together. Reading from Jeremiah 29, 8 to 13. This is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart. Let's pray together. God, um. Thank you for your word. I pray you challenge us today, you convict us today. And we pray also even for our world and the violence that are that's happening. You know, what happened in San Diego in the synagogue there we pray for them. We see evil. We see the work of the enemy. We pray that you speak peace to them, to the family and friends that have lost loved ones, to 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 those who have been injured. Bless them. Thank you for a future and a hope. Sometimes we can't reckon, we can't understand, but I pray that you comfort us. Even us here today, comfort us. Speak to us. We welcome you here. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen. You may all be seated.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Hello, hello, hello. Lights are extra bright this morning, so I can't see anybody. This is great. Um, We want to welcome all our visitors who are here for the baby dedications. Uh, I want to welcome you to Hope. Hope. yeah, let's start.
0: Um, my, wife, my wife, Juliana,
1: and I are often asked, you know, when, we, when people meet us, so how did you guys meet? Um, and the short answer is we met in college um, and started dating once we graduated, but um, the longer, more complicated answer is um, she, I met her my freshman year because she was dating one of my closest friends. Um, his name was Alex, and they were always together. Uh, it was a little annoying to have a buddy like that because you're you're good friends with him, and then he starts dating this girl, and all of a sudden you don't see him anymore. I remember this one time uh, we were out as a group for my birthday. You know, we were at a bowling alley. It wasn't even that late, and um, I mean, pretty soon after we got there, he was like, "Hey, can we go back to campus? Because I really want to hang out with Juliana." I'm like, "It's my birthday." We're here for me. Um, but um, he wasn't only crazy about jewels. He was also crazy about God. Um, during our time at school, he led um, a worship night where he was amazing on the piano. And um, he, would, he would play the keys and Devlin would come up and give a sermon. Just imagine, like college Devlin and our good buddy Alex leading our dorm building in worship. Uh, there was this one time we were taking a class together, and he ran to me because he had just been listening to a few sermons. And um, he told me, you have to listen to these sermons. You have to listen to them. Um, I remember him telling me that a couple times, and then I was finally like, okay, I should look this up. It was uh, spoken by an alum of our school in, a, in some chapel services a year earlier. Um, you know, I downloaded them, didn't really listen to them, but at the end of the semester, he went up to a summer camp in Wisconsin's Northwoods where he was working with Juliana for the summer. And I went home to New Jersey to prep for a trip to the Philippines. And uh, while in the Philippines, during a, a long travel day, I turned the sermons on and, and I was struck by, by what I heard. There was a the preacher and he was praying over the students and he was saying, Lord, would you, would you watch over them and protect them because some of them will get the phone call that mom and dad are no longer together. Others will hear uh, a dreaded diagnosis that they have cancer. Some of them won't make it to their senior year. The call that this preacher was saying was to make Christ look great in our suffering. Um, I listened, felt challenged, and I, I turned it off and moved on. Um, after coming back to the States, I traveled back to campus Two weeks earlier uh, than, than before classes were about to start because a group of us were headed up to the same camp where, where Juliana and Alex had just spent the summer. Um, and right before, it, it was, I, I landed on a Sunday. On the Friday before, I texted him and I said, hey, buddy, we're coming up. Um, are you going to be there? I didn't get a response because I figured, that, you know, Northwoods, service is probably terrible. Um, but I said, I, I can't wait to see this guy. I, I remember landing in O'Hare Airport thinking to myself, man, I can't wait to tell Alex about the summer I just had. My father is a preacher. He is um, pastors he's connected to in the Philippines, and he set it up so where I was in the Philippines, I preached my first sermons. I mean, exhilarating for me. Um, and I just remember thinking, I can't wait to tell Alex about it. Um, I got to campus, and um, I got to campus, and I remember uh, placing my bags on my bed, My RA walking into my room, asking me to sit down, and telling me um, Alex Heiningren. I remember because he fumbled his last name. He said, Alex Heiningren went missing two days ago. Um, He drowned, and they recovered his body in the lake yesterday. The days that, that followed have marked me. I remember his funeral in a small town outside Pittsburgh, I remember walking up to his two younger brothers as I told them with tears in my eyes, your brother was incredible, absolutely incredible. I watched them as they watched me cry my eyes out during the ceremony, uh, during the memorial service. Um, The suddenness and the finality of death is difficult to describe. Um, In those days, I lost a close friend who was not only talented, but to me and many others was an example of Christian passion. Um, Jules lost, perhaps, uh, my wife Juliana lost, perhaps, her best friend, um, and it and and the loss um, ushered in the most difficult the most difficult season of her life. Um, this morning we begin a new sermon series called "The Problem of God." In this series, we will discuss. The hard things that make us doubt and question whether a God can exist considering the painful experiences we have accumulated in our lifetime. Uh, we begin this morning by asking you the question that I was given, why is everything screwed up? Uh, the expanded form of the question is, how can a God exist in a world that is filled with death and misery? Uh, the sermon has two subheadings. One, why is everything screwed up? And two, how do we cope? Uh, and the approach for the morning is we're going to start. Uh, well, we're going to be in Jeremiah 29, and in Jeremiah 29, uh, we find a letter sent to a people living in exile. So, so where we want to start by asking the question, "Why is everything screwed up?" is by talking about exile, why it's important, and what it's like. Okay. So, two weeks ago, um, I mentioned that if you want to understand a group of people. You need to understand the collective trauma that they have endured. If you understand the trauma, then you're better equipped to understand the policies. Again, you can't really understand Chicago architecture without understanding the great Chicago fire. If you're trying to understand why airlines are strict about how much shampoo you should bring on the flight, you need to know about 9-11. And the trauma faced by the Israelites um, was this Babylonian invasion The Babylonians invaded and destroyed Israel's cities. They killed men and women and children. They took most of them back as slaves to Babylon and left a small remnant behind. The invasion and the exile were bloody and devastating. The passages throughout scripture speak of unspeakable physical and psychological suffering. Um, In Psalm 137, in in, in one of these psalms, they, they capture how devastating uh, this exile was, this invasion and this exile. And it, and it reads like this. Just picture. Um, By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of, of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear down to its foundations. Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You could hear the pain. You could hear the brokenness that they feel. You could, you could feel the sense of even vengeance um, that they were experiencing. We have to remember that, that the exile was the place of, of their most difficult and unspeakable suffering. And this idea of exile is a theme that runs the length of Scripture. The story of Scripture begins in Genesis, in a world, um, in a world filled with beauty and wholeness. It was a life marked by flourishing. Some photos of Banff National Park crossed my Instagram feed this week, and from what I can tell, um, from what I could tell, Eden would have been akin to life at Banff while you were at your your athletic peak. So, so not right now. So you at your athletic peak, prancing around the Canadian Rockies, around every corner thinking, wow, God, you are incredible for making this. At the center of, of this experience was this concept of shalom, which was intimate communion with the living God. Every corner of creation would have been spectacular. Spectacular drawing awe and wonder from us. However, Scripture also tells of humanity's desire to be godlike instead of worshiping the one true God. And it says that it's this desire to be godlike, to self-rule, that led to a painful exile from from communion with him. Throughout the Old Testament, humanity consistently opted to rule itself expanding the fracture between humanity and its creator. So the answer to the question, why is the world screwed up, scripture says, is because humanity and the natural world is in exile from intimate communion with God. And scriptures describe humanity's exile in narrative and poetic detail. And it happens on three levels, this this exile. Humanity is exiled from itself, from others, and from the physical world. Humanity is, is, we're exiled from ourselves, how? Through through our bodies that betray us. Betrays us and the ones we love through mental and physical illness. We're exiled from others as we betray and are betrayed by others. And the deepest deepest betrayals are always the ones we, are are from the ones who we thought could protect us from the tumultuous world. There were people in our lives who, who we thought we could face anything with and we realize that e- even from them, we can feel exiled. We're also exiled from the natural world. We read headlines every day, it seems, of unstable natural order, where earthquakes and tsunamis cause tremendous devastation. Yet, w- when faced with the reality of the world, we can al- always, we can often live with a defense mechanism, a, a defense mechanism that deadens the reality of a tumultuous world around us. Uh, Two years ago, I drove up to Kansas City to attend a funeral for a classmate's four-month-old daughter who had passed suddenly. He spoke at her funeral and he said, "Um, suffering is like a furnace, and walking around the PQ floor, we realize that we are not unique. The world is tumultuous and shaky, and this morning, he said, we cannot ignore how shaky the world actually is. And often we try to avert our gaze. But the larger story of scripture is a story of a world in exile from intimate communion with God. And this morning, this is, this is where we park. So the question is, how do we cope with life in exile? The question today, as it was for the Israelites living in Babylon, is, is, is what, what do we have to hold on to? And and what we find in the text is God provides us an invitation and a promise. Um, In verse 8, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Um, Where's the invitation in that? feels like a crude warning. Um, verse 8 in in this verse it mentions lying prophets but what were these prophets lying about if if we read a chapter earlier in jeremiah 28 we find a false prophet his name is hananiah and hananiah is 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 prophesying this thing that that everyone is pretty happy about he says you're in exile but don't worry two years two years and and this is all over two years in exile and, and this is all done you're all going home but in, in the verse right after, what we find is, is that God is saying it's, it, it won't be two years. It'll be 70 years. And what we find is God telling, telling his hearers that his timing and their own expectations might not match up. And the question was, can they trust God with their pain? There was this invitation to trust God with the timing of their suffering. Sometimes the last thing we want to do in the middle of suffering is, is stop for a moment and seek God in the middle of it. What we want is the escape hatch. Because if you think about it, you, you've probably heard, if you have any experience at all in the church, you've probably heard the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And you quote it in the middle of a tough day at your job, and you think, God's going to give me a different job. <laughs> or, or if you're a husband, and you're, you're, you're incredibly selfish, and you're having a difficult time in your marriage, and you just think God's going to get me out of this. But really, the, the invitation of God is, you, you trust me in the middle of what's going on. I might not get you out the way that you hope, the way that you planned, but even if it doesn't go your way, can you still trust me? Can you trust that I have something better, that I know what I'm doing, And the hard thing is when you're in the middle of exile, the the, the thoughts that come to mind is he's absolutely forgotten me. He has no sense at all of what he's putting me through. There is no one in the world who understands my pain. And so the question this morning is will we listen to an invitation of a God who says can you trust me in the middle of your suffering? I know there are many here who are asking the same thing. Has he forgotten me? Did he even see what we went through, me and my family? Was God even there when I I lost my parents in the war? Is he even here now? Was he there through the nights of, of the miscarriages? If we are honest, God cannot feel absent. And other times feel late. And we can have a hard time trusting him. And so the question this morning is why can we trust God with our pain? And what we find is it's not only an invitation to trust him, but, but the invitation is anchored in a promise. Um, verse 10 and 11 reads. Uh, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He says, in the teeth of a hopeless exile, in the teeth of their d- deepest suffering as a people, the promise of God is at an appointed time, I will come. God says you are not forgotten, and, and, and this is the key point this morning. This is how God proves it to us. You know, when the people of, of Israel were in exile, Jeremiah sends a letter. He sends a letter, and the letter says God will come for you. But what we find in the true prophet, Jesus, is that Jesus does not send a letter. Jesus takes the form of man, and he plunges himself into the deepest suffering and exile, in all of history. The author of Hebrews, talking about what Jesus did on the cross, he writes, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, well, we are looking for the city that is to come. It says that Jesus died outside the city gate. Outside. Exiled, not only from the city, but exiled from his father. And this is why we hear him say when he's on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he went to the cross carrying every sin, keeping us from intimate communion with God. And this is what we believe this morning. For this reason... Though the enemy intends for pain and suffering to wedge and separate us from God. And by that I mean in the suffering of your life. So often coming to church and being with the, ch- being with the church and communities is, is, is probably the last thing you want to do. And that's by the enemy's intention. But because of Jesus' ultimate suffering in exile, we can believe that nothing could ever separate us from the love of God. And God could use even the most devastating things to pull us closer to him. Author C.S. Lewis writes, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks, to, speaks in our consciousness, consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's often easy to pretend like there's no greater thing in life to set our minds on. But when pain enters our lives... Um. It's hard to look the other way. And so what we find as we look to Jesus is you can trust him with your pain. He can use the pain you have to pull you in closer. The picture, when I think about this, has always been this ever since I've heard it. Um, a mentor, uh, Dr. Root, who you some have, some have met, um, he talks yes. about going to New York City. Uh, he's a California guy, New York City, for his honeymoon. He talks about being on a subway train in the middle of rush hour and standing next to his wife and with each, each subsequent stop, more people coming in and then far, going farther and farther apart. But he also talks about at some point realizing that he was on his honeymoon and that was his bride. And so what he did was in the thick of this subway rush hour time, he swims through the crowd and puts his arms around her so that every subsequent stop after that with his arms around her, all the people coming in just brings them closer together. What the enemy intends to wedge us and separate us from God, God can use because of what he did on the cross to bring us closer together, to bring us closer together to him. And this is what we believe and this is our hope. When you, when, you, when you enter or when you go to work or you leave work tomorrow and you see that crowded subway train, would you imagine what it would be like for God to come um, into a broken exiled world, put his, put his arms around you and say, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. In preparation for this, uh, for this sermon, Jules and I, um, we listened to a song that uh, Alex wrote and recorded. And and while we listened to it, we traded um, thoughts on the topic of pain and suffering. She sums up her experiences in three distinct hopes every follower of Jesus has. Sort of her reflection as she thought about everything that she experienced. And the first is that the Spirit, because of what Jesus has done, the Spirit is available to us interceding when we do not have the words. And she's pulling this from Romans 8, where it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, Jules talks about, in the, in the months following um, losing Alex, how she would go to church, and, and she didn't have energy to stand or to pray, and she would just sit um, she would just sit, for, for, and she would say for three, four months, she would just sit in the middle of these church services. And what she believed in that moment and what her hope was in the middle of not having words to speak um, was that the Spirit was interceding for her with groans too deep for words, words that she didn't have. Secondly, um, that God is near to the brokenhearted. We see this as we, we read of Jesus praying with deep anxiety Blood coming through his pores. And we see that he's experienced every sort of suffering that we have experienced, and we see this in the pain. Um, we see this in his pain that he is near the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 reads The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So, today, in the middle of whatever you are facing, Would you would you would you sense that he's more nearer than he was last week? Last, the great Christian hope is that at, at some day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Uh, Revelations twenty one says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What we believe as Christians is at the cross, Jesus defeated the penalty of sin. Um, The penalty of sin that separated us from God was defeated. Now we can have communion with him, but we also believe that at the coming of the Spirit, we were enabled to live um, with power over sin. Yet as a church, we look forward to the coming day when Jesus will return again and once and for all defeat the full presence of sin. This is our hope. And when the full presence of sin is destroyed, it says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. The reality is this morning, there are many why questions that we will never be able to understand. We will never understand why we lost Alex. And there are a great many things you will also never understand about everything that you face. Um... But this is our hope, echoed by Christians for millennia. We believe that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And when he does, everything sad will be made untrue. And so we, we say this knowing that there's many in the crowd um, who are in the thick of, of deep personal suffering. And we want to give you the opportunity to pray with us. There'll be people in the back as, as we move into a time of response. Um, and, and the invitation is, won't, won't you come to Jesus today and trust him with, with everything? Trust him with all the pain that, that you only leave for yourself to tend. Let's pray now. Father, we we ask that your spirit would be here and comfort, comfort us in the midst of an exiled world. Um, Lord, often we do not have the words to pray. Um, but Lord, we know that in a, in a room uh, this full, um, or there's there's pain unspeakable. And there's no one else. There's no living person um, that can solve another person's deep pain. But what we believe, Lord, is that you complete us. What we believe, Lord, is that you are trustworthy. And so would you minister to the broken hearted now? It it is unbelievable faith that we have, God, that that you are God, um, not um, a God not that doesn't prioritize the winners and the people who have it all together? Or you are a God that is near the brokenhearted. So would, would you allow us to be brokenhearted before you and to trust you and invite you in every corner of our lives and of our hearts of the pain that we often don't even talk about? Would we trust you with it? And would you meet us here? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.